Levels about a couple of times. Shall kicks and he fires. Rose swings. There it is. There it is. Get out. Get out. All right. Hit number 41-92. A line drive single into left center field. A clean base hit. And it is pandemonium here at Riverfront Stadium. If you he will come. Base is loaded. One out. Two balls, one strike on Dale Murphy. To deep right center field. It is high. It is far. It is gone. A grand slam for Murphy. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. Indian fever. And Larkin swings and hits a drive. Deep left field. This one belongs to the rim. Hello, welcome to the Living in the 80s podcast. I am Rob. I am very happy that you joined us here today. You may have noticed that our usual intro, uh, the MTV theme and the little 80s sound clips, has been replaced by baseball. Yes, baseball. Uh, Originally, we had had this planned for this week, this episode, talking about our favorite 80s baseball players. Uh, to coincide with Major League Baseball's opening day. But with everything going on around us, the coronavirus and so forth, uh, Major League Baseball, as well as every other thing in the world, has come to a halt and is going to be delayed for uh, for a little while. But uh, the show must go on. So we are going to talk about uh, baseball in the 80s and you know what it meant to us. So we are going to... Um, do all kinds of, of cool things, hopefully, hopefully cool things this week. Uh, later on, uh, my very special guest will be Daryl Deere. Uh, Daryl and I went to middle school and high school together, and he's one of the biggest baseball fans I know, and he happened to be available to do the podcast, so uh, I was able to recruit him to do that. So uh, that'll be coming up a little bit later. Um, so thinking about baseball back in the 80s, so as a kid, young teenager, uh, I, I was a huge baseball fan, even more so than I was a football fan uh, in those days. But um, I remember collecting baseball cards. I had a pretty large, in my opinion, I had a large baseball card collection. Back then, you couldn't just um, you know go to a card shop and buy one card at a time. You had to buy an entire pack, which is about... Uh, 
10 to 12 cards. I can't remember how many exactly were in a pack, but they come with a very, very hard stick of gum that was with them. And like the gum was not necessarily chewy at first. It was really crunchy. If you dropped it on the ground, it would shatter in a thousand pieces. But uh, you always get a bonus stick of gum with your baseball cards. And hopefully when you open that pack, you had no idea what was inside. You'd really hope your favorite players were in there. Sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't. Uh, you'd have to trade with your friends. Sometimes they would hold your favorite player hostage to get the maximum value. And then uh, when their favorite player came around and you had the card, you kind of did the same thing. So that baseball card collecting was a lot of fun for me back in those days. Uh, somewhere in the mid-80s, I sold off my whole baseball card collection. I probably didn't get nearly what they were worth, but uh, it was money and it was more than I paid for them. So I guess I ended up okay in the deal. So baseball cards were a lot of fun. Uh, I used to check the Sunday papers every single week and cut out the statistics because they would have the American League National League statistics ranked, you know, from an order of batting average, but you could also see home runs and RBIs and everything else. So I would cut that out of the newspaper every week and I would just kind of study it like I knew what a lot of players were doing, particularly my favorites. So that was a lot of fun for me back in those days. Uh, I also watched a lot of baseball on TV. Um, I remember being a big Reds fan uh, in central Ohio. It wasn't like it is today. Me and Daryl will talk about this later in the show, but you didn't just turn on the TV every single night and your favorite team was on TV. Uh, there was only a few games per year you could see. Uh, on the the local affiliates and you if it was a rain day rain delay game it was awful because you'd have to wait another week or so to to see the team again so that that was a little bit rough back then but um i i watched baseball whenever i could i listened to it on the radio a lot because every radio every game was broadcast on the radio I, i would listen to it on wlw out of cincinnati and at night, the signal was really, really strong. Um, you know, AM radio um, works a lot differently than FM, which you know, we're mostly accustomed to growing up in the 80s, listening to a lot of music and stuff. The AM part was what our parents listened to, uh, except for baseball games. That's when we can switch it over to, to AM and listen to that stuff. But uh, I, would, I would listen to the radio a lot, uh, listen to Marty Brenham and, and Joe Nuxall call the games every day every day, every night, and that that was pretty fun for me. Uh, I, a lot of times, like, the Reds were in the National League West, so they had to play, like, the Padres and the, and the Dodgers several times during the year, and a lot of times it was on the West Coast. So, like, those evening games would not start until 10.30, and this is, you know, around my bedtime, so I would have to listen to the radio in my room turned down really really low so my parents wouldn't hear the radio on so I listened to a lot of baseball that way and fell asleep a lot with the with the radio on so those are those are very fond memories for me so for this week we are going to at our normal format on the uh, on the podcast is to go through several um, um, things that were going on like this week in 1981 82 83 whatever uh, this week it's a little different, so we're going to talk uh, this week a little bit about what were our favorite 
um, uh, ba- baseball uh, movies, TV shows, etc. Uh, in the 80s. And uh, we'd like to call this segment uh, Back in Time. Okay, first thing we're going to look at here are um, top baseball TV shows of the 1980s. Now, there really weren't a lot, uh, I'll be honest with you. Um, not much of a crowd was watching baseball shows. So the ones that came from my memory that I could remember, uh, one was The Bad News Bears. Uh, it was originally a movie, turned into a TV show in the 80s, and I, I don't remember it lasting very long, but I remember watching it. I liked it. So that was a that was one of the TV shows of the '80s that, that I somehow remember. Uh, number two, um, the Baseball Bunch. So I know a lot of you baseball fans remember this. Uh, Johnny Bench and Tommy Lasorda and the San Diego Chicken hosted <laughs> this show, where basically they would uh, give kids baseball tips, uh, which is really helpful for me because I I wasn't the best baseball player. Um, I loved baseball. I liked playing it. I was okay at it, but um, by the time I got to be about 13, we're trying out for the the Babe Ruth Pony League teams. I didn't make the team, uh, largely because I couldn't hit a fastball. Like it, you know, it was just zipping through there. I remember at the tryouts, the the coaches that were there told me that said you feel really good. You've got a good arm and all of that, he's like, but you need a lot of work on your hitting, so you know, maybe come back next year and try it again. I gave up after that point. I, I figured it was a lost cause. <laughs> so uh, I had to wait until I was 16 and start playing softball, which I was better at um, than I was at baseball just because you know the ball's coming a lot slower and I had time to react to it. But anyway, anyhow, the baseball bunch was really, really a fun kids show. And uh, you know, having Johnny Bench giving you baseball instructions like how to throw, how to position yourself when you're batting, and things like that it was a lot of fun. So the baseball bunch was was a lot of fun. Uh, but the number one show I remember from the from the '80s was This Week in Baseball. It was hosted by uh, New York Yankees announcer Mel Allen. And what this show really did, it was like. Uh, Sports Center condensed into a half hour covering everything going on in baseball from that week, and for me it was a ton of fun because back then even even on cable TV uh, you didn't get to see a ton of baseball teams um, out there uh, playing like you, you would see like the Reds of course around here uh, we didn't get Indians games here back then uh, which which is another thing. I, I get a little bone to pick with those Indians fans that are in Columbus. Um, where were you guys in the 70s and 80s when the Indians were horrible? Where were you? You were not rooting for the Indians. You were rooting for the Reds or you didn't root for baseball at all. But you were not Indians fans. Um, probably in the mid-90s or the Indians became a, a decent team, all these Indians fans came out of the woodwork. Like They were non-existent back in the day when the Reds were winning championships and everything. So, uh, anyhow, <laughs> I digress. Um, getting back to uh, this week in baseball. So, uh, getting the chance to see you know highlights from Yankees games and um, 
the Royals or the Brewers or some of these other um, American League teams that you would never, ever see around here. Uh, you'd only see them on baseball cards and you know in, in the stat sheets in the newspaper, but that was it. You didn't really get to see these guys much. So this week in baseball gave us the opportunity to to just look at uh, highlights from from different players around the league, different teams you didn't normally see until like the All-Star game. Uh, so that was a, a lot of fun. I looked forward to, to watching that whenever it was on. And uh, that was my favorite baseball show of the 80s. On the other hand, let's go over to movies. Top movies of the 80s. Um, baseball movies. Um, there were a few better movies than there were TV shows in the 80s. Uh, one I remember really good, which will make it our number five uh, movie here, was Eight Men Out. Uh, this movie was... Um, had Charlie Sheen and John Cusack in it. Those are the two I really remember. And it was about the 1919 Chicago White Sox scandal. Uh, if you guys don't know about this, the White Sox basically took money to allegedly throw the World Series, uh, which they ended up losing to my beloved Cincinnati Reds. Um, but uh, it was about the whole um, background of that, the the you know them going to court and so many other things at the time that really made the um, the headlines of that day. But uh, Eight Men Out was a, a very you know popular movie in the eighties, uh, but not as popular as the number four movie. And these are are actually ranked by box office, so that's how I got these. Um, the Natural. Uh, if you guys saw this, Robert Redford played a a baseball player. And he had his wonder bat and was a you know, really good hitter. I, I haven't seen it in a long time, and I should have probably watched it this week. I've had so uh, so much time on my hands with uh, being quarantined uh, involuntarily. But um, that was uh, the natural. What, I remember liking the movie a lot. Uh, I don't remember a ton about it. I remember him being stabbed, I think, in an alley and hitting a colossal home run that that knocked out the light, the stadium lights. Um, that's kind of what I remember. I do remember a little bit more our number three movie, which was Field of Dreams. Uh, this was, uh, this is still one of my favorite baseball movies. Um, Kevin Costner plays a Iowa farmer who um, gets told to build a baseball stadium in his cornfield, taking up very valuable land. Um, so he does this and some baseball players from the past, uh, come out of the corn, uh, not children of the corn, baseball players of the corn. They come out and they, um, they, they play a game and his dad is there who was a, a minor league ball player and, uh, just a really, really cool movie. Um, but not the box office draw. This next movie was another Kevin Costner movie, Bull Durham, uh, Bull Durham plays a minor league uh, baseball catcher and for the Durham Bulls. And um, it's a comedy. It uh, also has uh, Susan Sarandon in it and um, was a uh, you know very good movie. Uh, life in the minor leagues, so fun stuff. But the number one baseball movie of the 80s, and this would be probably number one on my list of of all-time baseball movies. If you ask me next week, I might have a different answer, but uh, the number one 
is uh, Major League. Um, this is a movie, <laughs> hilarious movie. Um, Charlie Sheen, Corbin Burnson, um, Tom Berenger, several other people. Um, uh, life in the, the really crappy Cleveland Indians and how uh, the team turned around and with its cast of colorful characters. Uh, remember Wesley Snipes played Willie Mays Hayes and uh, he he was really good at running bases but uh, he hit like crap. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, Major League, great movie. Uh, I highly recommend you check this one out while you're uh, quarantined. <laughs> Just Major League, a very good movie. Um, next, um, our last little part here of Back in Time, we're going to talk about our favorite baseball songs. Talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball, the man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Our number three song is called Willie, Mickey, and the Duke, Talking Baseball by Terry Cashman. This song references lots and lots and lots of old-time Major League Baseball players. Um, This song just reminds me of uh, 80s baseball, just because it was out in the 80s. I remember the song very well, and uh, it's a a really cool tune that kind of sticks in your head, so... um, that was number three. The number two song, Glory Days by Bruce Springsteen. The song itself is not necessarily about baseball, but about a baseball player. Um, reliving his glory days. Uh, you know, like it was so much better back then. Uh, this is uh, one of my, um, one of those 80s songs that I've always enjoyed uh, from the Born in the USA album, which is one of my favorite 80s albums, which we'll talk about more next week. Um, glory Days, um, really good song. Um, Bruce Springsteen, you know, He's awesome. Love him or hate him. Uh, the guy has had an awesome career. And Glory Days is one of his uh, better known songs. Now for number one. Number one, Centerfield by John Fogarty, formerly of Creedence Clearwater Revival. Um, this song remains popular today. Um, that uh, You hear it at almost every baseball game. Uh, that The beginning hand claps there. Uh, they play that over the PA systems, getting the crowd going. And that song went every spring rolls around to hear that song. It's just one of those songs that gets you in the mood for baseball. So this was, uh, you know, one of those really cool 80s songs. And Centerfield by John Fogarty is probably the number one baseball song in the 1980s. 
if we're getting to really very very um, defined topics <laughs> so that's it uh, and that is also it for back in time Play a game of baseball for that box of tricks? Okay, Rabbit. Tricks is a part of this team's nutritious breakfast. Now's my chance to score with tricks with my favorite fruit flavors. The lemon I leap for. The orange I reach for. One more hit and tricks are mine. Mine. Oh, I always lose out on tricks. Silly Rabbit. Tricks are for kids. Tricks are for kids. Okay, Atari, let's see your best pitch. You're out, Rose. I quit soccer to play Atari. You need more practice, Haley. You can't keep me in here, Atari. The Atari video computer system is 20 cartridges with 1,300 game variations you play on your own TV set. Don't just watch television tonight. Play it. All right, so we are to the next segment of our podcast this week. I've got with me an old friend of mine. I've known this guy since middle school, and as I was thinking about people that would be good to invite to this podcast and talk about baseball, Daryl Deere came to mind. And the guy even has a name that sounds like a baseball player. Daryl Deere. So, Daryl, welcome. Good to be with you, man. So what we're going to do here is we're going to go through our our list as voted on by our Facebook followers on the Living in the 80s page. And we're going to talk about who they voted as their top five or favorite, I should say, favorite baseball players of the 80s. So um, we'll just start with number five, according to our uh, vote here, was Ricky Henderson. What, what do you – what memories come up – to you when we're talking about Ricky Henderson and, and what are your thoughts? Uh, well, you know, Henderson is the uh, all-time stolen base leader. That number will probably never be reached because they don't steal bases anymore. Right. Um, I remember and, and, when he – And you might want to speak up just a tad. All right, man. I'm sorry. And I remember when he uh, broke the record standing on second base, holding the bag over his head, saying he's the greatest of all time. Uh, um Became kind of a fairly decent power hitter for a leadoff batter. I believe he holds the record for the most leadoff home runs as well. I think he does. So uh, Ricky's a, um, he's a pretty good choice, I'd say. Yep, I would too. Uh, again, my memory is of him holding second base up over his head, and um, and I, he played. I remember him playing for several teams, uh, and he played for the A's mostly. But then he bounced around a little bit after that. I think he was like even still playing in the minor leagues up into his mid forties before he get like he just couldn't let the game go. But but yeah, he's he would definitely um, he he would be on my list of of some of the best best baseball players, you know, of the era. Uh, number yeah. four, George Brett. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think George Brett. I mean, the guy hit three ninety and what, 84, 85, something like that. And um, you get that close to 400, you make the list. But, uh, uh, you know, I was thinking today that it seemed like, you know, this was back in the era where you only had a game a week. You know, well, they played with Monday Night Baseball for a while and the Braves were on all the time. But uh, 
Uh, and it seemed to me like the, the Royals and the Tigers were on constantly because those teams were always so good. And so, yeah, I think George Brett's a great pick. Yeah, that's it's funny you you brought that up about I was going to I was going to mention that earlier and I kind of had forgotten about it a bit but I do remember like there was so little baseball you could watch on TV back then like being a Reds fan locally they probably had I don't know 15 to 20 games out of a 162 game schedule all summer long so like I remember going through the TV guide and seeing when they could play and hoping it wasn't a West Coast game because they didn't start till 1030 and it's <laughs> past my yeah. bedtime. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's not like now where not only the Major League Baseball Network, but you've got, you know, I, I know here locally I can watch almost every Reds game. I think I think they said they're broadcasting 149 of them this year this is before, you know, the 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 delay and um I guess the other ones would be potential ESPN games or whatever, but yeah, it, it wasn't like now where you can watch just about any team, any time. And like my memories back then was like seeing like most of these guys I would see on baseball cards or in sporting news or something. You wouldn't get a chance to see them too much live unless yeah. you would catch like a, a segment of this week in baseball or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> oh what was the what was the guy's name was it mel allen that mel allen it? yeah yes. mel allen you know yes. he had uh, great you know kind of came to fame broadcasting the yankees yeah and um uh then i guess that must have been the latter part of his career he would do that every week you know that was that was good so yeah back to george brett uh, i do remember him um it, it again i think if you're anything like me getting to watch the all-star game every year and yeah. seeing these guys actually play that you've only seen on baseball cards was kind of cool. So, yeah, George Brett, uh, great player. I remember the pine tar incident. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he went completely berserk when uh, he got a home run called back. So Yeah. Of course, if it wasn't for the pine tar incident, do you know what the most famous moment of his career would have been? Um, Let me think. Uh, go. I, I, I got nothing. He missed. It was either a playoff game or a World Series game because of hemorrhoids. Yes, I forgot about so, that. You know, you go, pain in the butt. Yeah, you go with the pine tar episode if you can go that way. You yeah. that's a much better that's a much better tombstone thing than uh, than the other. I think I would be, rather be remembered for that too. So <laughs> that's good stuff. So number four was George Red. Number three, and these are all Reds. Um, you know, we're in kind of sort of in Red's country here. So number three was Barry Larkin. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't see Larkin a lot uh, by the, um, you know, the latter part of the 80s. Well, the, the middle part of the 80s. Uh, well, no, I would have been home during during baseball season. On the latter part of the 80s, I was in Texas. So, you know, not a lot of Reds play down there. Uh, but um Larkin um, um, was definitely um, a, a good shortstop, made the Hall of Fame. Um, that may be a little bit dubious, I don't know, but uh, but he's in, so he's got that going yeah. for him. And I'm not sure when Larkin came up, to be honest with you. I tend to remember him more from the 90s yeah. than the 80s. He, so he must have come up the latter part of the 80s. Uh, you might know. or 
Uh, yeah, I, 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 I see him more as a nineties guy too. Um, he, he actually started like he was a call up in 1986 at the end of the okay. season. So yeah, I mean, okay. honestly at 87, 88, 89 was when he had his time to shine. And I mean, he started off hot. I mean, he was always a good player um, at the shortstop position. He was probably the dominant shortstop of the nineties. Well, I guess him and Jeter would probably be. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's probably I, fair. I would put Jeter probably above him as far as nineties, but, but in the eighties, um, you know, not, don't remember him too much from then. I mean, I, I remember, but, but I would say he, he didn't peak till, till the nineties for sure. Yeah. Number two, Johnny Bench. Wow. Uh, I, I know, know this isn't a seventies list, but it kind of feels like it. It does. Well, <laughs> at least that pick, you know, I think Bench retired, what, 83, something 84. like that. 84. And, yeah. um, maybe it was so, 83. Maybe it was 83. Yeah. Yeah, close enough. But, I mean, at that point, he was just kind of hanging on, man. He couldn't field third. He couldn't field first. He couldn't hit anywhere like he did. Uh, yeah. But you, 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 can't, you, you can't be from Central Ohio and uh, list favorite players and not have bench on your list. You just can't. And, uh, right. candidly, I mean, even though I'm long past rooting for the Reds, you know, bench is still a, still a favorite of mine even. But uh, I, I tend to associate him more with the 70s. Yeah, me too. So yeah, so he his last game or his last season he played was 1983, and well, even that year he hit 255, 12 home runs, and 54 RBIs. But like you said, he he wasn't catching anymore. I I, I do remember him playing a lot of first base, but not very well. Probably pinch hit a lot. But yeah, he was he was probably my favorite player, like on the big red machine back in the 70s. I've even seen yeah. a, a sweet. Uh, Johnny Bench jersey I like to wear around so um yeah he was he was great um wouldn't put him on an 80s list but you know yeah but but if you're the best of all time at your position you can go on whatever list you want that's right that's right and I would say that too I'd put him him as on that one absolutely yeah Yeah. so number one kind of goes in that same vein Peter Edward Rose wow the notorious Uh, yeah. Now, now, Rose probably played a good bit into the 80s, though. I don't remember exactly when he retired, but he was uh, he was with the Phillies in the early 80s and then made his way back to the Reds as player manager. And mm-hmm. um, so he, I mean, even though he was past the highlight of his career, but again, that's it's hard to fault some of those folks, you know, in, in, in Central Ohio. Again, you know, it's kind of like Bench. Rose is going to be on your list. And now that casinos are legalized and gambling's in there's probably a large representation from that voting for him too so, I, I think so got, too <laughs> got all that going so yeah so he um he actually retired well he was shown the door in about halfway through the 1986 season but uh I mean even in the in 85 he played in 60 games he was a player manager and then 84 he played for um uh, he started off the season in Toronto and then no, I'm sorry, Montreal. It was Montreal, right? Yeah, Montreal, yeah. and then yeah. Cincinnati. Uh, he I was think traded. Cincinnati traded for him, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they traded for him and made him player manager. Player manager, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, will we ever see that again? You think player managers? You know, I think in this age of analytics, I doubt it. Uh, I, I think that's going to be highly unlikely. But you know, you never know. It seems like baseball is one of those games that kind of reinvents itself. 
from time to time. And, and usually as it does, it usually doesn't come up with something necessarily new. It just kind of goes back to something that was in vogue. So, I mean, it might, I think it would have to be somebody that is, a, you know, a, a relatively immensely popular player, kind of like Rose in the sense that, you know, he's kind of iconic for a franchise and, and somebody can bring him in and, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of anybody that might be in this day and age, and I I can't come up with anybody. But uh, yeah. maybe I, I think Botto it's unlikely. Be a good player manager. He's very um, a good player. Seems to know the game very well. Even still, I'm with you with the analytics and everything that they, all the studies and things they put into pitch counts, and you know, throw this guy this ball when it's 72 degrees out on a third right, right. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't, I, yeah. I don't, I don't see him. At, performing very well in that kind of environment. <laughs> so. Yeah. Although, I mean, to be honest, some of the guys they've hired in recent years aren't that far removed from playing. So, yeah, that's you know. true. Like uh, well, going, Beltran. Yep. And what's, who, who was the catcher for the Cubs um, when they won the world series? Oh, David uh, Ross. Yeah. 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 David so Ross. He's, yeah. He's managing. I think he's AAA. Maybe I don't, I don't know. He's with the Cubs. Is he, is he their manager? Yeah, yeah, Madden okay, yeah, 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 to, yeah. Uh, Madden went to the Angels, right? And they hired David Ross. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not as connected with baseball as I was back in back in the day, but I, I still follow it enough. I I think I would probably it would be easier for me if the Reds were you know a little bit better in the last few recent years. But it's you know when it's July and your team is 15 games below 500 and they're trading everybody away, it's really kind of hard for me to continue to be loyal to it. Yeah, yeah. I I wanted to, for years, walk away from the Pirates, and I just can't walk away from them. You know, yeah. I just – I tried. And I've kind of enveloped the Indians now that I'm in the Cleveland area. I've been here for as long as I have. So it's kind of a one and one A, you know. But, uh, right. but yeah, it's, it's – those childhood allegiances are tough to break. Yes, they are. Well, it's funny because I, I get teased about this endlessly from all my friends. Like, I tried to walk away from the 49ers a couple years ago, and I got so much grief. And the funniest one was Kevin Jenkins. He's like, you don't pick your team. Your team pick, picks you. Like, you can't just say that none of that stuff happened, <laughs> that, that you didn't cry when they would lose to the Cowboys and you didn't, you know, dance in the streets when they won Super Bowls. And he's right. <laughs> so yeah. I, I just couldn't do it. But when they got rid of Colin Kaepernick and, and they fired Jim Tom Sula as their coach and uh, Trent Baalke was released from the uh, front office, it made it a whole lot easier to cheer for him again. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But, but, um, but yeah, back to Pete Rose. Um, he was another one of my favorites back in the seventies. Um, he was, you know, he, he was iconic, just his hustle pl- hustling play you know his nickname's charlie hustle and uh everything that uh that he did as a player um just really as a young kid man everybody wanted to be pete rose at little league they were trying to slide in head first and the coaches are saying no no don't do that yeah. so yeah. that was good so here's the last and we'll we'll move on after this question so and you knew it was coming should pete rose be in the hall of fame um we're we're probably going to disagree on this uh, <laughs> But uh, I don't think he should. Okay. Now, I say that understanding that everything he did as a player more than qualifies him to be in the Hall of Fame. The problem that I have is 
and, and part of this is age. And, and so um, the cardinal sin in baseball for a hundred years mm-hmm. has been betting on the game. Right. I thought it was and, Cracker Jacks. And, um, and Pete broke the rule, man. And then he got caught and he lied about it. And then he lied about it again. Now, Here's the thing that will probably open the door for him. They've legalized gambling. They're promoting gambling. You watch MLB Network or anything like that. It's always, hey, do your fantasy drafts. You can win $5,000 here, and you can do that, and you can do that. So, you know, eventually they're going to lower their their viewpoint towards towards that. I I bet he might sneak in. But in my opinion, no, no. I I would counterpoint saying, you know, well, I will – I will agree with you as a player, he has, you know, statistically he belongs in more than most of the people that are there now. So I will go for that. Um, The gambling thing is, is um, it it was rough for me when it happened. I can't believe that I couldn't believe that he did that at the same time. It has been a long time. And I mean, I understand not rewarding the guy for whatever, but, I think he ought to be in there. Like the, the baseball hall of fame is full of unscrupulous guys. Yeah. And I'm not saying that what he did was on a moral scale worse mm-hmm. than a lot of guys in there. I just right. watched Ken's Burns baseball okay. uh, documentary again. Right. There's some scoundrels, man. There's oh, some yeah. scoundrels. Yeah. But again, the cardinal sin in baseball was betting on the game. Oh yeah, it, and it, he did it's it. Kept, it's kept Shulis Joe Jackson out. Yeah, although which, there is talk which they could never prove him. that he gambled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but the, but like I said, there they are talking about putting him in. So they should we'll absolutely see. should. So, no. all right. So moving on from there, the the fans have given us their list. What's Daryl Deer's list of your favorite five favorite baseball players of the eighties? Five favorite, now not favorite. five best, but the five favorite that I would uh, that I would throw out there um, uh, is Tony Pena, okay, catcher for the Pirates, sure, uh, who ended up being traded to the Cardinals for Andy Van Slyke, who would be my number two on that list. You know, my second. Uh, I'm not; these aren't ranked in order, but I'm just saying. So, so you got Tony Pena, you got Andy Van Slyke. I would go with um, with George Brett. And uh, uh, for reasons we've already stated, I think fourth, I would go with Don Mattingly. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember watching Mattingly with the Clippers back in the day. And, uh, you know, Mattingly was the, you know, the, the strike against Mattingly as he played for the Yankees all those years. And it's really hard to have a favorite anything on the Yankees, particularly in that era. But, uh, but Mattingly. And then fifth, I would go with Kirk Gibson. And, yeah. uh, you know, um, Again, Detroit was one of those teams that was on all the time. And uh, uh, so, yeah, so I would go with those five, uh, give some honorable mentions to Nolan Ryan and Jack Morris and Tony Gordon. But the, the first five that I mentioned is what I would go with. Sure. So thinking about my top five, um, it's really hard just being such a dyed-in-the-wool Reds fan. So I, I try to I try to not make it necessarily a Reds list. I I, I thought – you know what? I'll keep one red on there. He'll be my number one. So <laughs> number five for me was Brett Butler. 
Uh, okay. Yeah. Like, okay. like, like you mentioned before, back in the day, we were, we were always like, you could turn on the Braves any night and, and watch them play. And uh, I wasn't the best baseball player. So I didn't, I didn't uh, play beyond little league. Uh, just really my hand-eye coordination, hitting the fastball, couldn't do it. But I played, started playing church softball at 16. And the year I started playing was in 1982, which happened to be Brett Butler's, um, his, his rookie year. So I, I, I wanted to find a rookie. I'm 16 years old. I wanted to find another rookie. And, and he's on TV all the time. Loved his hustle, loved the way he played, great outfielder, good hitter. And then he got traded to the Dodgers, and then I kind of lost track of him after that. But, yeah, he would he would be my number five, maybe not in the top five best players by any stretch, but he was he was always fun to watch for me. So I really liked, I liked him. Uh, my number four is George Brett. Um, again, these guys, you couldn't see him on TV all the time, but, uh, you know, you respect him as players. You get to see him on this week in baseball and maybe the occasional sports highlight. I mean, if they're playing the Indians, you'd see a little clip of him hitting a home run or, or doing something. So, um, but I always, always loved getting a George Brett baseball card. So that was, that was cool. Uh, my number two or number three, I'm sorry, uh, was Mike Schmidt. Oh Oh, man. I love that guy. He was, uh, you know, played for the Phillies and, uh, he from Dayton. So he's an Ohio guy. And uh, I just, and he just hit home run after home run and just loved watching him play. Like when they'd play the Reds, he's like, he's the one guy that I could, I didn't pull for many guys on the other teams, but, but uh, he was one that I, I certainly did, which leads me to number two on my list is Will Clark. Um, okay. First baseman for the Giants. Uh, again, another power hitter. Loved watching the guy play, just always aggressive, always hustling. And um, just watching him do his thing, you know, as much as I possibly could. Uh, he was one of those guys I always enjoyed watching play. And then my number one uh, favorite baseball player of the 80s was Eric Davis. Um, he was uh, – he came up – he's the first guy to ever uh, hit – have 40 stolen bases and 40 home runs in the same season. Um, just very, very good. Great player. I loved watching him play. I mean, my my favorite memory, of course, is game one of the World Series against the A's, and he leads off with a home run, and that place erupted. So um, that was, uh, you yeah, that that was that was that's my number one guy of of the '80s. So Eric Davis, there he is. There you go. All right, now our last point of business here, we are going to talk about um, who we would put in as a, as an all-star team of the eighties. So why don't we start, uh, I've got my list here, so I'm going to let you go and then I'll, you know, I'll put my two cents worth in as we go, but let's sure. start off with first base. Uh, who would play first base on Daryl's eighties all-star team? Yeah, I would go, um, and I wrestled with this, but I would go with Mattingly. Me too. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, Mattingly, you know, the, the bookends of the decade, either he hadn't come up yet and he was beginning to tail off, but for that six or seven year stretch in the middle, um, he was one of the guys you'd want up if the game was on the line. Absolutely. Yep. He I agreed there. He was, uh, he was a guy. He was the guy. Uh, second base. 
Second base, um, I think that just based on a couple of really good years, which tilted in his favor is Ryan Sandberg. Okay. Nice. And um, um, although I think that probably if you look at the decade as a whole, Lou Whitaker had numbers just about as good as Sandberg did, but Sandberg had a couple of those record setting years, mm-hmm. I think an MVP in 83 or 84. So, uh, so we'll give it to Rhino. I, uh, I pick Lou Whitaker as a matter of fact, um, nothing against Sandberg. I, I, I think you're, you're talking one or one a, as far as, you know, those two guys flip flopping back and forth, but I, I could easily see the argument for Sandberg and, Guess me next Tuesday. I might say Sandberg's better than Whitaker. Yeah. Well, you know? I would have preferred Whitaker, but I tried to be unbiased. So uh, <laughs> nice. but anyway, there you go. Um, what about shortstop? Shortstop, I think, is a little trickier. Mm-hmm. So, um, but this is going to sound crazy because prevailing wisdom would be another name. But I think I would say Alan Trammell. Okay. Didn't have him on and, my list, but uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, I think the. The, the the consensus pick would probably be Cal Ripken, mm-hmm. and 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 that's fair. And I wouldn't argue with anybody all that. Although I would put in a dark horse, and um, and that's Robin Yount. Mm-hmm. Robin Yount started as a shortstop before moving to the outfield, but yeah. uh, so I I pulled him from shortstop. But so gotcha. so I would go with Trammell. So yeah, Trammell and Whitaker were a great double play combination. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my, my shortstop, I, I'm a coward. I couldn't pick one, so I picked two. <laughs> I picked uh, Cal Ripken Jr. and Ozzie Smith. Um, yeah. Ozzie wasn't the greatest offensive shortstop, even though he was no slouch. But defensively, at that point, there was no one that could do what he did. No. And, and I think that, as I said, Ripken would be the – Ozzie Smith would probably be, like you said, one and one a with Cal. I think yeah. that those are the way most folks would rank those guys. Um, but um, anyway. I, I, I remember when Ozzie Smith first came up, they were talking about how great he was, but Dave Concepcion at that point was still the the guy that winning the gold gloves and so forth up until yeah. that point. And then uh, I, at one time in an interview, they, they asked Concepcion, you know, what was like being the best shortstop in baseball? He says, I don't know, ask Ozzie Smith. <laughs> so yeah. so he passed the torch literally <laughs> to Ozzy. But yeah, I, I I've always and he seems like a really class guy too. So it's it's you know one of the good guys of the game. Uh third base. Uh third base is tough. And uh the reason is because there's three really, really dominant third basemen. Um and so I went with George Brett. Okay. Although um Mike Schmidt probably deserves every bit as much to be there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if you can have a one, a one B and one C, uh, Wade Boggs deserves the conversation too. But, but I went with Brett. Yeah. Those guys, those guys all came down for me at the end. Those, those three, I had to pick one. And since Schmidt was one of my favorite, you know, non reds of the eighties, he ended up getting my, uh, my third base yeah. vote too. So the, the, the thing that would, I, again, I would go with Brett, but the thing that would tip it to Schmidt in most people's minds, and I think it's a fair point, Schmidt had record power for a third baseman, mm-hmm. but if I'm not mistaken, won a gold glove every year of the 80s, or pretty close to it. Yeah. So, I mean, he had the defense that the other two guys who weren't slouches, but but, right. but Schmidt was the standard bearer of the 80s for defense. I, I would agree. I would agree. 
Um, catcher. Catcher, um, I went with Gary Carter. Mm-hmm. And um, didn't like the Expos, and I couldn't stand the Mets, but uh, but Carter <laughs> Carter won anyway. So. Yep. He's he's who I have. I mean, I just I just remember like my brother Chuck. His favorite player was uh, was Gary Carter, and uh, and but you know, to me, the best catcher of his era. So yeah. I think it went from Johnny Bench in the seventies to Gary Carter in the eighties. So yeah. yeah, I'd say absolutely. Okay, we'll go with three outfielders. They don't necessarily have to be right field, center field, or left field, but just we'll go three outfielders in general. Sure. And, uh, so give give me your three. I went with Robin Yount. Mm-hmm. That's why he didn't land at shortstop. So um, and Tony Gwynn, mm-hmm. and I think Tony Gwynn was probably the best. Well, to be fair, Gwynn really went on to even greater heights in the 90s, but Gwynn, Gwynn was probably the best hitter, the best pure hitter mm-hmm. of um, of my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And um, the third guy, he may not have quite the numbers that perhaps a couple of other guys do, but he had some intangibles. And uh, so I went with Kirby Puckett. Oh, yeah. Man, I wasn't so, even thinking about him. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of snuck in on me as I was doing some thinking through this. So those are yeah. the three guys that I uh, that I went with. Okay. So my three are Daryl Strawberry, um, okay. Robin Yount, and Ricky Henderson. So okay. I just, you know, those three guys, like I, I'm, I'm combing over stats and trying to remember my memories of these guys and looking at gold gloves and all-star game appearances. And it kind of went down to that. And I know Daryl Strawberry might be sort of a dark horse choice and maybe not one of the three best outfielders out there, but in his prime, like during that three, four, five year period, he was one of the, the best players in baseball. Um, yeah. He could hit, clutch home runs about any time um just uh just you know his own demons kind of probably cut three or four years off the end of his career but uh he's uh he was yeah those are my outfielders so yeah i think that you'd have to give honorable mention um mm-hmm. i don't know if we're giving honorable mention but we will we but are but now <laughs> if you if you look at them statistically tim Raines wasn't far behind ricky henderson and a lot of numbers yeah and those two are never really mentioned in the same conversations. Right. Um, and, um, and, and you're absolutely right. Henderson probably is more deserving than Kirby Puckett, but it's my list. And so <laughs> that's Kirby right. Also. That's your list. And we'll go that's with it. it. That's yeah. it. So, yeah. Um, well, back, back, backwards a little bit. You're talking about Tony Gwynn. I, I meant to comment on that a bit. Um, he was one of the best pure hitters I think has ever played the game. Um, I, I, looked at him at, at some at putting him onto my list and I, I just uh, some of these guys to bump off just because these guys are maybe better defensively maybe more power but like as a pure hitter um I think you know I think he was a better hitter than Pete Rose was uh, he may not have had the the as long a career um even though he played quite a while um just as a hitter like when he was up to bat you knew he could get on base more, you know, more than anybody else on the roster. So, so here's one. I don't know if you thought about this. You're an American league guy. So George Brett, um, I put as my DH. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't pick a DH because a DH is an anathema to baseball. And, um, 
And and to be fair, I'm only an American League guy somewhat now. I'm hard. I'm really a National League guy. You're a Pirates fan. (laughs) Yeah, but um, yeah, no, the DH is for Church League softball, man. Yes. Get the DH out of baseball. I agree. Totally agree. Although it saddens me to say it, but um, I'll say within the next couple of years, the DH will be standard in both leagues. I think so too. And I, 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 I'll, I, I'll embrace it because I'm a baseball fan, but I, I think that I think American league pick pitchers ought to start uh, hitting, especially if they want to start throwing at people. I think that's fair. <laughs> so I think they, that's they don't fair. get a chance for the retaliation too much. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, what we'll do is we'll take one of the guys. I, I threw out a couple of names for third base, so we'll take Boggs or Schmidt, and they can, they can DH on my team. There you go. That works. All right. So uh, we'll give you a chance to get give you two starting pitchers, too. Okay. Well, I'm glad I wrote down two then. Um, <laughs> uh, I would go with uh, Jack Morris. Mm-hmm. Norris Morris was stellar with the the Tigers, won a World Series with them in 84. Um, And then at the end of his career was a mainstay with the Twins, won a World Series with them. And uh, now this actually peaked into the early 90s. But, I mean, if I remember correctly against the Braves through a a, a 10-inning shutout, uh, I think to win game six of that series. So, um, uh, but I would go Jack Morris. And I think the other one I would go with is Nolan Ryan. Okay. Those are good. Um, there, there's, there's some guys that probably maybe were statistically a tad bit better than those guys. Uh, mm-hmm. But like I said, by the end of the 80s, we were in Texas. I saw Nolan Ryan pitch. And the, the, thing that was, the thing that struck me about him was that, you know, we were sitting in the outfield and you could hear him grunt as he would throw. Yes. And uh, uh, it was crazy. But I remember, you know, uh, waking my wife up actually when I was in uh, in school in Texas and he was uh, working on his, I think at the time it was his sixth no hitter. And then he ended up throwing a seventh. So, uh, but I would go with Morris and, and, and Ryan as my two. Okay. Um, I, I love those choices. Uh, my two, um, Roger Clemens and Oral, Oral Hershiser. Yeah. Um, and I think those are good picks. Yeah, and I, you know Clemens, will he ever get in the Hall of Fame? I don't think so. Um, just go along with the whole cheating and everything else, like that whole era of of the steroid abuse or whatever. But I remember Roger Clemens being a dominant pitcher uh, right. in his day, and then Oral Hershiser, kind of the opposite, dominating. But man, this guy was as squeaky clean as Andy Griffith. Yeah. So, yeah. You kind of remind me of him a little bit, but yeah, uh, yeah, that's my two. And then um, our last one, relief pitcher. Relief pitchers are tough. Um, I thought they would they would be a more dominant reliever than than I could remember, and and the ones that were dominant, um, they weren't as dominant for as long as you thought they might be. Right. You know, I thought of uh, Bruce Souter. Mm-hmm. who that was later in the decade. I thought of um, of Lee Smith, who, again, put up career numbers but never really had dominant years. So um, uh, I went and, – and I thought of Dennis Eckersley, although he hadn't even really become a significant bullpen contributor until almost the end of the decade. Right. But the guy that I went with was Raleigh Fingers. 
because of the handlebar. And I know that he, yeah, that mustache alone should have its own. Exactly. And and he, you know, he, he paved his way in the seventies, but he did want to, uh, he did go to the world series with the brewers in the early eighties. And man, somebody can correct me or you can correct me. He may have won MVP in 82 that year. He, he may have, um, About to find out here. Uh, yes, he did in uh, 1981. 81. Okay. Yes, he was. He was the MVP. I'd forgotten about that. Yes. Huh. That Brewers team of the early 80s was a tremendous team. Yes, uh, they were. So, but it just didn't stretch beyond the you know the mid 80s. But that that team in the early 80s was pretty impressive. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Man, you know, I you have made me change my vote. I originally had Dennis Eckersley down here. I like I know he was a starter earlier in his career, but like the his time with the A's, he was so dominant for that three or four year stretch. But but when you're looking at overall, man, I think Raleigh Fingers would probably take it for me too. So you have changed my mind. Well, he had a better stash than Eckersley did too. Yes. So he did. Yeah. He had a better stash than anyone that's ever lived. Yes. We'll go with that. That's pretty good. We'll go with that. Nice. So that, that well, is... I don't know. Daryl Strawberry might have had a better stash, but that's probably another story. <laughs> it, it was, uh, it was, it wasn't quite the, yeah. Yeah. That one wasn't quite legal, I don't think. No, I don't think it was. It was white. So, anyway. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. In, any any closing comments on baseball the eighties? Any any memories you want to share that come to mind, real quick? Or like- oh, you know, um, man, there should be, but um, uh, you know, anything that that jumps out to me? Well, yeah, yeah, probably, probably the moment, one of the top moments, sports moments, I. Uh, was Gibson's home run yeah. in 88. Yeah. Uh, that kind of has to be maybe the highlight of, uh, and, and I don't pull for the Dodgers. And by that point, you know, although I like Gibson, but uh, you know, the guy couldn't walk and he comes yeah. up and, um, and, you know, wins the game really wins the series for him. I mean, I think he's so deflated Oakland that they never, never recovered from that. So, but, uh, but yeah, Gibson, I think Rose's breaking the hit record was a pretty cool, mm-hmm. uh, pretty cool moment. Uh, and um, so um, those are probably, but I think, I think Gibson is the, 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 the big moment that I think of. So, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, it, it, you've not heard this yet, but I put together like each, each um, episode, we have like this 80s montage at the beginning of the episode. This one, I, I went all baseball moments. And, uh-huh. and the Pete Rose hit and the Kirk Gibson home run being called by Vince Scully and Marty Brenneman are both on there. Yeah. So now, uh, I, I tell you, Scully, you, can, you, you can't ever say this because it's, it's sacrilege. Mm-hmm. But actually, Jack Buck's call of Gibson's home run mm-hmm. was better than Vince Scully's. Really? Maybe I might have to change my thing up a little yeah. bit before I put it up. Jack out. Buck had a great line, uh, and it was, I, I don't believe what I just saw. Wow. I, I'll have, and, to, uh, I have to check it out. I have to check it out. I may change it. 
yeah. if I can find, but, if I, well, can find I mean, a good enough quality clip, I'll do it. Vin is Vin is the man, so you can't go wrong with Vin. Yeah, but, uh, that's true. Uh, in a in a season of the improbable, the impossible has happened. See, I have no life. <laughs> I, tell my, I I am the king of useless trivia. Quoting sportscasters from 30 years ago, like they said it yesterday. I don't know what I had for breakfast, but I can tell you what the sportscaster said after. Anyway, but uh, that's all I got, man. That's good. All right. Well, Daryl, I wanted to thank you so much for joining us today. You've uh, you've made this podcast a ton of fun for me um, with your insight on baseball. It's 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 been truly a pleasure. So. And that just about wraps things up for this week. Uh, there are a couple things I wanted to um, go over with you guys before we took off. Um, the first thing is we are now on our Facebook page up to 967 members. So just a little bit shy of 1,000 still. Um, I've mentioned several times I had no real expectations for this page. But since we're getting close to 1,000, it'd be pretty cool to hit that. So invite a few friends this week. Uh, people you think that may enjoy uh, reminiscing about the 80s uh, and so forth. Uh, speaking of the Facebook page, I wanted to go over this one little um, tidbit of um, I don't know, information, little announcement thing going on. Um, keep in mind, this is a very family-friendly page. So I'm trying to keep everything off with oh, salty language... Um, drug and alcohol use, uh, things like that. Uh, I put an announcement out last week. Um, you know, we're not, we don't, we're not here to talk about politics, about the coronavirus. Uh, we're not here to sell anything and we don't want anything from other decades. So if you find a song or a movie clip or something, and it's not from the eighties, go post it somewhere else. We want people like when they come to the page feel like they're actually stepping back into the 80s. And um, with uh, so many other places to go and post other things to go there and do that. Uh, and I don't mean to be unkind. I think you guys all, that you guys that know me, know me much better <laughs> than that. Uh, I'm hopefully one of the nicest people you'll come across. But we want this page to be a little something different. A place people can go to and not be offended or embarrassed about what they see here and the whole thing with other decades um you know i i had an old friend of mine this week that um i i removed something from the page i just sent him a little message um it was a cover of an of a song that was originally written in the 80s that was a cover you find the original you put it up there that's fine nobody will take it down um but it you know, we were trying to keep this an 80s page. Uh, also, remember to go to livinginthe80s.us to our webpage. And uh, there's not a ton up there yet, but it's kind of neat to see. And there's some links to some of my favorite 80s sites. So if you have anything to add or suggest, you know, send me a message on Facebook or something. And we will go from there. Next week, I'm super excited about uh, our topic. Just because when it comes to all things 80s, uh, music is my sweet spot. Um, whether it's you know pop, rock, hair bands, new wave, whatever, um, I am all about 80s music. So next week, 
I got a couple of very, very special guests. You do not want to miss that podcast when we are going over our favorite albums of the 80s. Like that will be a ton of fun. Trust me on this. This will be an episode you don't want to miss. We've had voting going on for the last several days and keep on going here for a couple more days. But um, that will be a super fun episode. And another thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll post something on Facebook about this too. The following week, it'll be you guys are taking over the podcast. So what I'm looking for is you guys to tell me like where your favorite hangout places were in the 80s. Like when you think about places like in your hometowns or whatever you went to, we're wanting details. We want you to come up with you know the places you hung out at like why was that special so i'll give you instructions from the facebook page so kind of be thinking about that and uh, i am very very excited just because i'm such a retro guy anyway i'm very excited to 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 hear your story see where you were hanging out with and who your friends were back then Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun for everyone So that's it for now. Uh, We're going to close out this baseball episode with a cool little tune here from the movie Major League. Uh, This is Randy Newman. You guys uh, be good to each other. There's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga River Rolling into Cleveland to the lake There's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga River Rolling into Cleveland to the lake There's an oil barge winding down the Cuyahoga River Rolling into Cleveland to the lake There's an oil barge winding down the Cuyahoga River, rolling into Cleveland to the lake. Cleveland, city of light, city of magic. Cleveland, city of light, you're calling.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.